Welcome to the Engaging Personalities Podcast. I'm Anders Belanger, founder and CEO of Engageify, where we're on a mission to rehumanize business through engagement. We believe that we can all be more successful if we can command attention and deepen connection. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest on a future episode. So let's get ready to engage. Steve Malter is an industry-leading message strategist, spokesman, and communications trainer for more than 100 fortune and multinational brands, including Cisco, Panasonic, Siemens, and Bayer, just to name a few. Steve has designed, developed, and delivered over 20,000 live talks and broadcast programs, connecting global corporations to more than 2 million customers, partners, and media analysts. As a keynote speaker, executive presence trainer, and presentation coach across North America, Europe, and Asia, Steve is an enthusiastic evangelist for better corporate storytelling. Through a winning combination of value, passion, and connection, he is the author of the book, Nothing Gets Sold Until the Story Gets Told. I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Steve Malter. Steve, welcome. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks to you. Thanks to all of your listeners and your viewers. It is a privilege to be with you. Yeah, I'm I'm pumped to, to have you. And you know what? I got to say, like, uh, I bu- I bought your book, and you and a couple other trade show uh, people that I know from the industry wrote books, and I kind of bought them all at once. And um, so I wanted to have you on because this is a meaty, like, I, and I'm I'm saying this because like I went through it. I've read a lot of books like this. It has it has a lot of has a lot of thickness, let's say, you know, and we'll get into that a little bit. But you know, it has, it's got some meatiness there. So, um, and if anyone's listening, I know we're just getting started. We're going to talk a little bit about the content here. But this book, if you have to present or speak in corporate or in your job or anything, this has some really great stuff that you don't see everywhere too, which is nice. So, Very grateful. And it also matches yes. your background, Anders. So there's something to be I said. know. Yeah, look at that. It's just like for the people on the <laughs> video. All right. Um, so let's let's get started. Um, I just did kind of tease this idea of thickness just, just now because, you know, there's some meatiness to your book. In the book, you talk about adding thickness to your talk. What, what, what does thickness mean? And can you just kind of tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great place to start. The reason that most speakers don't connect with their audience in the way that they want or provide the value that the audience is looking for is they develop and they deliver what I call a thin talk, a thin presentation, a thin message platform. Thin message tends to be where it's the facts, ma'am, and just the facts. We get directly to here is the product or the service or the solution that I'm here to market or to sell to you. And I'm just going to tell you about the details of that product. Here's what it is. Here's what it does. Here why we think it's great. And here is why we believe that you should buy it. That is a thin presentation or a thin message. Whether you're delivering to an audience of a thousand people or an audience of one, they are not going to get enough out of it to create a satisfying message because it's just statistics and data that can just as easily be read out of a brochure or off of a website or a white paper or a mission statement. We don't need the speaker. We don't need the presenter to deliver that talk. We can read it for ourselves like an advertisement. Thickness in a presentation becomes so much more satisfying for an audience when we add in those additional layers of personal engagement and interaction. 
human-to-human storytelling, the ability to take that audience and make them not only hear the information, but also feel that information, internalize it, begin to get passionate about it themselves, and then want to discover more of that passion by connecting with that service, that product, that solution that you are there to offer. So there are a lot of different ways that we can add thickness into a presentation, but it goes well beyond the data and the information to create story on top of it. And that corporate storytelling is what creates a thicker and more satisfying talk for whoever it is that you're speaking to. Awesome. <laughs> I, I, I should have paused a little bit more because it's like, that's the clip we're going to use to promote this podcast, right? <laughs> that's soundbite right there. So um, what a master, Steve. Um, you know, th- thank you for that because there's so much, well, so much to unwrap there and everything. But before we even do that, I, let's, let's just roll back and go, how did you get started in this? Because like, I know you from from trade shows, like you are the face uh, the spokesperson for Cisco at their, you know, major events. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, huge. And so I know you from that world, but how did, how did you get there? Like, how did you get into the speaking world and, you know, coaching and all of that stuff? Oh, purely by accident. It's actually a very boring story. So, you know, how, when your kid breaks their arm, And you're like, there's got to be a good story behind it right now. I stepped off a curb. And no, it's got to be while you were ski jumping or while you were base jumping or or diving off of a cliff. Now, I was an actor until I was 30 years old. I came completely from a theater background. It was all I knew and all I had ever wanted to do. It's what I went to university for. And I traveled around the United States in regional theater and even did a little off-Broadway work. And with that, I just found myself in Chicago, which is where I still live today. And while I was here, I met a woman, fell in love, ended up marrying her. And she had begun in the trade show world five years before I did. She started in 1991. And she kept saying, you ought to give this thing a shot. I was like, no, 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 I'm an actor. I'm not interested in corporate theater, which is, if you recall what it was at that time, it's changed dramatically since then. But I finally, in 1996, I did my first trade show. And it was just loads of fun. It was for Tivoli Systems right after they had just been purchased by IBM. And for those who have been in our industry for long enough and remember the dot-com boom and the nature of what events were during the late 1990s, really all the way up until 9-11, it was a ridiculous time in the events market. Everybody was an overnight gazillionaire. They were spending money hand over fist. They couldn't get enough of it, which meant that they couldn't hire enough people like you and me to speak on behalf of corporations. So from the moment I started, I was instantly incredibly busy. And about two years later, I woke up, I looked at Karen, my wife, and I said, guess what? I'm not an actor anymore. And she said, how do you feel about that? And I said, surprisingly good. Uh, It was way too easy to make the transition. So from the moment that I became a full-time speaker for corporations, it was instantly apparent what was missing in that nature of communication, because again, it was all data, content, product, brand driven. Me, 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 me. Everything internally focused about how amazing the brand was, the awards that we've won, the market share that we've commanded. And I started very quickly through mentorship of a number of amazing people who really led me on my path. Um, I could name 50 of them right now that really taught me the nature of better human-to-human interpersonal communication in order to properly represent the corporate story, the heartbeat of a brand. Mm -hmm. And so by the time it was the mid-2000s, 
things started to shift a bit. And I said, I want to do a little bit more than just speaking on behalf of companies. I want to help them to tell better stories, which evolved into coaching, which then evolved into creative strategy, which then evolved into training programs. And poof, all of a sudden, I find myself here today doing less of the trade show work and speaking on behalf of brands and more helping them discover their own heartbeat or get back to their own heartbeat in order to really connect with the heartbeats of their customers, their partners, and media analysts who care about them. So I'd like to say that it was a more interesting trajectory. I accidentally fell into it at the right place and right time. And I'm grateful for those who dragged me in. Well, and I think your background as being an actor, of course, has helped you, right? Being expressive, being, you know, and there's so many that I see that do have that, you know, background of performance that they, they can bring to it, right? It's, it's, like the gentleman it's, who's speaking right now. You were a mathematician long before you ended up in this arena. I don't, I mean, sure, this arena has made you a whole lot better and allowed you to, to ply and, and craft the trade that you do, but you were phenomenal before you ever even arrived in this market, yes? <laughs> I'm going to call you uh, phenomenal. Yes, you don't yes have to, I was phenomenal. <laughs> you don't have to call yourself phenomenal, but you certainly had, I think, pretty strong chops or you wouldn't have made it. Uh, it's sort of like the guitar player who shows up to audition for the band. If, he, if the guitar player says, I play the guitar, the band says, yeah. Otherwise, what are you doing here? That's just your foot in the door. It's not enough to be a great guitar player. What else do you bring to the market? And for you, as a mentalist and a magician, you were great at what you did, and that was your foot in the door. You've only become better ever since, but you brought something special to the market. How many years with Veeam at this point? If we just pick out one of your many clients? 13. 13 yeah. years, right? Yeah. Incredible. I've been with Cisco for 26 years. There's a reason that they've kept this old dog around as long as they have. And I've given them lots of opportunity to say, wouldn't your audience like to hear from somebody different for a change? And they say, no, as long as you continue doing a great job for us, uh, helping us be as creative as we can be and making the messaging stick, we'll keep you around. And that's really the trick for those who want to enter this industry. You've got to bring more than just basic skills to the market. It's got to be true dedication and care for your clients, the willingness to do anything and everything for them, and the willingness to be special, to figure out what can you do that nobody else can do so that your clients look at you and say, we don't want to do this without you. Without you there in the room, we are less than we can possibly mm -hmm. be. That's what you've done for your clients for so many years. And it's what I always try to do with my clients if I can. You, you know, 26 years, that's amazing. Like the, the amount of reps that you've put in presenting and, but also I, I think, you know, you also introduce speakers too, right? And then you watch maybe what not to do sometimes, right? <laughs> like, uh, you know, is no that- what that... you're talking about. <laughs> Anyone who has ever been introduced by Steve, please uh, don't listen to the next one. Um, no, but I, I mean, there's great, there's great speakers out there too that, you know, you just kind of, I remember one time and, and, you know, we're talking about passion, you know, a, a lot here. And, and I remember introducing different speakers at this one booth and this guy would come out and just kill it. And I'm like, holy crap, like who, who is this guy? And he was the founder of the company. Right. And it's like his passion and his heart just, you know, was so it was so, uh, you know, you could touch it. Right. Like you could you could, you know, just everything was so uh, palpable. Right. So everything it, it was it was just so different that I'm like, OK, there's the, that passion has to be a, a part of that. Right. So that people can connect to it. So um, what, are, what are some ways and, and what are some ways that you 
get people to kind of connect to that passion to to bring that through so that people find that thickness in your in your message you know it's very interesting when it comes to discovering passion this is very much an effort it doesn't happen easily so if you take the average employee for their organization I tell a story in the book, you read through that, where I say, okay, let's say that your job is you work for a company that manufactures latex gloves. And I'm here as your coach or training your sales team or your executive leadership team. And I'm saying, okay, you need to get passionate about those gloves. And they're saying, I'm sorry, they're latex gloves. How am I supposed to feel passionate about latex gloves? And what we do is we go to a level of removal. You can't get passionate about selling a latex glove. Too many players in the marketplace you're just looking for bottom line to ink contracts with hospitals or food prep organizations or safety organizations or Amazon warehouses. That's not what's going to get you excited. Let's talk about what that glove does for the people who wear it. Do you have children? Yeah, I do. All right, imagine the school nurse. Your kid is feeling sick. What would be the nature of that interaction between your child and the school nurse if the school nurse didn't have the highest quality possible pair of latex gloves to keep your child safe? What if your child was hit by a vehicle and was lying somewhere in pain? Rubber gloves could make the difference between life and death for your kid. What about your kid in a neonatal intensive care unit? The reason you're allowed to touch your child and have that connection with your child is the right pair of gloves. Gloves are not just a commodity that we sell. Gloves are something that touch us on a daily basis in life, that keep us safe, that allow us to do our jobs more safely, that create food options for your family and for the families in your neighborhood. We need to start to think about your rubber gloves on that level, and you can begin to develop a personal passion for the product and for how you tell stories about that product. So that's just one article, one artifact, a rubber glove. We can apply this to virtually anything. So when you and I are representing, say, a tech organization, even if we don't have a direct connection to that technology, instead of thinking about, here are the reasons this technology is great and why you ought to buy it, we start to think, what is this technology going to do for the middle market manager that we are speaking to right now to make their lives better? How does this technology affect them personally on a human level first that makes their jobs easier, makes them look great in front of their leadership, maybe gets them home earlier on a Friday afternoon to spend more quality time with their family, will make them look like a hero and a rock star when they leave our presentation and they take it back to their boss or to their team. That is where the passion lies. It's not in the product itself. It's the ways what we are talking about makes someone else's life better, and that gets us excited. And we can do this for anything that we speak about, and this is both professional and personal. You can bring this to your spouse, to your kids, to your other family members. When we speak for the benefit of others, in service of others, to make their lives better, to help open a new door to success for them, to help build them up and empower them, that tends to make us passionate and they want to become a part of that passion. We can do that about anything we speak on. Wow. That's such a masterclass on, on delivering value in, in what you're speaking and making it relatable and, and the, the emotional piece there. Uh, so I hope everyone, you know, you should almost play that part back and listen to Steve again right there because latex gloves, how, you know, boring and benign those are. <laughs> and then you start like, as you're telling that, I mean, this is the this is the storytelling piece, right? Is that you know, do you have children? I I thought yes, I do. You know, imagine if they were hit by a car, and you're like, 
emotionally, I went there, right? Just kind of like you, you can't not have a little bit of a thought, even when you, you pose that question. And all of a sudden, I am emotionally thrown into this experience and going, wow, yeah, those gloves would matter, right? They, and, you know, so we have limited times. One of the things that I'll tell training yeah. groups is it's, it's actually quite easy when somebody hands you 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes for a breakout session or to get in front of an audience and tell your story. We have a bulk. Now imagine that you're a medical equipment sales representative or a pharmaceutical representative, and you literally have 90 seconds chasing, literally chasing a doctor down the hallway of a hospital or a clinic to get them interested in your product. We don't have time to establish the baseline of data and metrics. We have to hook them instantly. We have to grab their attention and create differentiation in literally seconds because seconds later, those elevator doors close or that office door closes and you're done. And if you can't make that connection, you've lost the opportunity. You may have a minute, a minute and a half, three minutes, five minutes is, five minutes is royalty in that particular field and space. And anybody who is listening to your podcast right now who works in that sphere understands exactly what I'm talking about. We can't waste time. Instant value, instant grab, instant connection, instant emotion, everything flows from there. But that's thickness, right? Creating that connection first before we get to the reason that we want to establish the connection and why they should care. So Steve, when we talk about you know this relatability and, and this connection, uh, we all have seen corporate marketing from companies or uh, that that have a lot of vernacular. Even the word vernacular is a bit of vernacular, isn't it? Right? Like the, the there's corporate speak that's in this stuff, and you have to become a bit of a translator to kind of like I can't say that, right? Like bringing things down to lower common lowest common denominator denominator terms. I can't even see that's I can't even say that word. <laughs> I need to dumb it down for myself. Um, so, so what are what are some tips for our listeners to to you know make what they say more relatable and more conversational? I, I guess is what I'm getting to. Such a good question, Anders. All right, there are a few ways that we can approach this. Number one, and again, I do talk about this in the book, but whenever possible, please write your own content, write your own scripts. It's not that somebody else can't write good content. But it takes time and it takes, again, a deep connection. So if you take a political activist, for example, somebody who is a specialty writer, let's say who is supporting a major politician, they have a great leg up because they can spend so much time with that politician to really get to know what is their natural cadence and their natural flow of language? How do they speak? What words are they most comfortable with that makes them feel very natural, like they're speaking from the heart and they can write that way? Most of us do not get that gift. We are writing in the snap of a moment to a specific purpose that is meant to be a one-off and then cast aside. So if you're an executive with a company and you don't have time to write your own content, odds are that's being passed along to some sort of communicator or support professional who has been tasked with writing your script for you, which is why frequently we'll see at trade shows an executive or a engineer or a developer designer will get up and start to speak. And it sounds like they're speaking a foreign language because even though they're using technical jargon, they're using it in a forced and inorganic way. 
And you can tell, well, you didn't write your own content. You deadlifted it from printed materials. You copy and pasted it off of the website or out of the development manual, or somebody else wrote it for you. And you don't sound like you. So what I'll frequently tell people to do is go through your scripts, go through your content and say, would I say that word sitting across, having a beer with my friend Anders? Would I actually use that word if we were just sitting around and shooting it together and just hanging out and chatting? And if I wouldn't use it in that environment, I definitely do not want to use it in any public speaking environment either. I want to use the vernacular, the vocabulary that makes sense to me, that I use every day, because that's what's going to naturally flow in my dialogue and make me feel approachable, accessible, honest, trustworthy to my audience. And unfortunately, corporate speak, which is basically made up jargon, it's all acronyms and connector words, therefore and via, and things like this that we never say in real language, but they get forced, they get shoehorned into content and they diminish a speaker's power and capacity and create a gap, a separation between that speaker and their audience. Best way to get rid of that, close that gap, fill it up and get closer to your speaker, speak to them like you're speaking to a friend using the language, the words that you naturally and normally use. Speak like a person, not like a corporation. It totally takes me back. I, I think about Hamilton, the musical, because, uh, you know, there's the, the the one line where like, it's like I could have a beer with him, where they're talking about with Burr, right? And that's the thing about politicians, the ones that are more relatable speak in that more conversational tone. And it's exactly the example that you just used, you know, would you say it when you're having a beer with a guy? Nuclear, right? Okay, so uh, I, this is an American speaking to a Canadian at this point, but for those of us who were tracking what George W. Bush was doing, he used nuclear all the time. He knew the word nuclear. He had no problem with the word nuclear. This was a skull and bones member uh, uh, of a very elite university. This guy was well-educated, regardless of what some might've said, but he used nuclear because he knew exactly who he was speaking to. He was speaking the language of the bulk of his audience. He was being relatable. He was the first president of the United States where people said, I feel like I can have a beer with that guy. And that's exactly what Lin-Manuel Miranda was referring to in Hamilton. I love that you pulled that. I think it's a great reference point, but it does make us accessible. And the more accessible we are to our audience, the more they relate to us, which means the more they trust us, and therefore, the more they hear what we have to say. And when we are serving a client, whether it's at a trade show, at an event, at a conference, at a sales meeting, in a training program, when we are representing a brand, our number one job is to be relatable, and to get people to hear the power message that we are there to deliver on behalf of that brand. It's what they pay us for and what they trust us to do. If we don't give that to their audience, whoever that audience might be, we are not serving our client correctly, and we are therefore not earning our keep. So when you, uh, just a, a minute ago, you were talking about the scripts, you know, and making, uh, translating it. I think you know, if we had, uh, you know, listeners who are, are maybe working for some of the tech companies that we're aware of and we've worked for, and they're a speaker, you know, maybe speaking at a trade show, speaking at a user group, speaking at, you know, it could be a, a sales presentation, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and they hear scripts. I think some of them might be like, oh, I, I just kind of, you know, shoot from the hip kind of thing, right? Like I kind of wing it. Uh, some people are big fans of scripts. Some people aren't. You know, I kind of sit in the middle. Like I say, you know, if you're going to shoot from the hip, at least have a target, right? And that would be like, what is your script going to, what are you trying to hit, right? And then whether or not you're on it all the time, 
fine, you know, but don't get caught up. What, what, what is your, you know, theory on this, um, you know, in terms of the script and how close you are on it and how much people cling to it and that kind of thing? You just put it beautifully and I align directly with you. There's that old adage, you have to know the rules before you can break the rules, right? So when it comes to scripts, people who say, no, I don't do scripts, I'm best off the cuff. I'm best when I just get up there and wing it. This is a very difficult thing for me. I frequently will work with a lot of core executives. Uh, I'm working with the C-suite of an organization. It's very hard for me, little nobody, to stand in front of somebody who's earning a $10 million a year salary and tell you, you actually don't work better when you're off the cuff. I know you believe that you do, but you actually don't. If you take the best, most compelling speakers, let's go back to Cisco. So for years, I partnered side by side with John Chambers. Over 20 years with the chairman and CEO of Cisco. John was remarkable. He sounded like he would just get up on stage as a futurist and as a real deep connected human guy with his Diet Coke there in his hand and just talk to people. And it sounded like he was making it all up on the spot. And he was one of the most practiced seasoned guys at creating the exact content he wanted to deliver and then convert that content on the page or on the screen into common conversation and vernacular that hooked people in. So I have a chapter in the book. It's called Scripts, Friends and Foes. And the and is very important. It's not or foes, it's and foes because they are both. Scripts do us an incredible service if they're used correctly. So think about when you're lying in bed at night and your head is just spinning and you can't go to sleep because ideas are racing around in your head. Well, one of the best ways to deal with that and fall asleep is keep a pad of paper and a pen next to the bed or keep a recording device and just get it out of your head and onto paper or into that recording voice. Don't look at a screen and type it in, skip the blue light, but just write it down or record it. And you'll fall asleep so much more quickly because now they're out of your head and they're into a hard form. The same thing works with scripts. Scripts are brilliant for getting us, as you just said perfectly a moment ago, Anders, what do I want to say? What is the target that I'm trying to hit? What is the goal that I want to reach in service of benefit for my client and their audience? Where do I want to go? Great. There's my target. There's my goal, what we call sentence five in the five sentence structure. Once we have that down and we can really write to that particular target or craft to that target, now we know Here's the story that I want to tell. These are the salient points that I want to include in my story. And now I can organize those points into a logical flow of structure that my audience can very easily, clearly follow along with without getting lost or overwhelmed. And once I have that and I get to know it, your best bet, don't let that friend that the script has been up until that point convert into becoming a foe, which is now it becomes a crutch. I hang on to it too long. And I'm now so worried about memorizing every word on the page. So I say it exactly the way that I wrote it, that it destroys, it kills good human to human connective storytelling. You want to get to know your script well enough to know, here's what I want to say. Here's the order I want to say it in. And here are the big points I want to touch on. Then you need to ball that script up and either throw it in the trash or tuck it in a drawer and start to speak from the heart. And if you're worried you're going to lose your way or forget, we have a million good ways to keep you on track. If you have the benefit of a confidence monitor in front of you, you can put simple three to five word bullet points on that confidence monitor. What did I, what was I supposed to do next? I forgot. Oh, there it is. Right back to the audience. Little mm -hmm. reminder points to make sure that you don't miss your key topics. 
If you're working with a slide deck and the information is in the deck, you can either check it out on the monitor or take a look and say, oh yeah, next thing I wanted to talk about. And they cue you in. Some people, if they have a podium, will use index cards. Write those little cue points on your index card. So whenever you need to, what are they supposed to do? Oh yeah, great. Let's talk about that. And you're right back with your audience. So scripts, friends, and foes. Friend at the beginning, foe if you hang on to it too long. And as long as you can do both, they are a power play, much better than shooting from the hip. And then get rid of it at the end, because if you do just shoot from the hip, your odds are going to run over your time or dramatically under your time. You're not going to remember to continually engage with your audience, ask them questions, make them feel a part of what it is that you're doing. If all you're doing is regurgitating content or making it up on the spot, you lose track of where you are in real space and you don't serve your audience properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's great. And, and I've seen the same things you're talking about. Those people who just like, when you try to memorize it word for word, as soon as you forget one word, that was the trigger for the next word. And then they're just like dead in the water. And, and that was kind of my experience when I first started learning, you know, to do trade show uh, presentations was that I didn't want to be dead in the water. And I know there's, you know, sometimes ear in ear monitors, which you are, you know, repeating what you're hearing and, even that, I wasn't very natural at that. Like, and that takes a ton of practice. So I just started being able to just internalize it. By the time I try to memorize it, I would kind of have the concepts. And then releasing yourself to be free and in the moment just makes it so much more organic and also dangerous, Steve, right? People don't really know where you're going. You know, if there's kind of like, if it doesn't feel so safe, it's kind of more interesting, right? That is a great point. I've never thought of it with the word dangerous, but I think you're exactly right. It's fun if the audience can't quite tell what the heck is going on, right? So look at the difference between what you and I do. A lot of what you do is such a specialty skill that I have none of, right? You're in an interesting position because most people who are going to watch you do what you do so incredibly well in an event environment, they are probably not going to think that you are a core member of that team because of the skill, right? They know that you have that you are representing the brand and and representing it in a way that almost nobody else can do. But they don't think of you as an employee in that way. You're a separate level, which means that your ability to tell them a great story as you do what you do makes them think, wait a minute. That, is he actually a member of the organization? I mean, he can't have that skill and be that adept and relaxed and confident in his storytelling. And that's what makes you so phenomenal. With me, because I don't have your specialty skill, my job is to make sure that nobody thinks that I'm not a member of the corporation. They all have to look at me and say, I don't know where they found this guy who is a designer and developer on this particular software product or this. Right. But damn, he's good. Also <laughs> yeah. He's just really good. There's a lot of alacrity. So these are really interesting skills for people who have been in the industry for a long time to develop that ability to make an audience think, wow, they really actually know exactly what they're doing. And the best way to do it is you're not reading out of that script. You're not memorizing. You know what it's like to stand in front and literally watch the person read their monitor. And they're speaking to you like this. And that's what they're doing. You see the eyes going and you see the head going. You can't create a faster separation between speaker and audience than that because they're saying, what am I doing here? Just send it to me. Send me an email. Send me a brochure. I'll read it for myself on my own time. I don't need to get on a plane and fly to an event, stay in a hotel, leave my job behind and have three weeks of work to make up for when I get home to watch you read a 
script or read a, a prompter, that doesn't work. Talk to me. And what you're amazing at is talking to people while you do what you do. Those of us in the business who have stuck around a long time and have a lot of experience, that's what we're doing. We're not regurgitating. We're talking to people. We're Mm -hmm. communicating for their benefit. We're empowering them and we're there to serve them and their interests. That's why we stay in the industry. And that's the differentiator between somebody who's a hobbyist and somebody who's a full-time professional at it. And, and I think too, I think, you know, people who maybe if they're not even a professional, understanding that that leaning into your uniqueness, right, into who you are, instead of trying to say the corporate speech and the whatever, you know, the, the, the thing that translating it, making conversational, but connecting with the audience by being yourself, right, is, is something that I think sometimes people need permission to do. Is that something you find in coaching? It is. I'll tell you, I find it even more in training sometimes than in coaching. If I'm working with a multinational team, <clears throat> so say I'm working with a, with a company that's based in Germany, and I'm working with a team where their ELT is split between Germany, France, Italy, Switzerland, and uh, and the UK, and maybe somebody in Austria. They don't necessarily know how to communicate with one another on their own team, let, let alone how to go out and storytell on behalf of their brand in a consistent and stable manner. And sometimes just freeing them up to say, you're allowed to get away from the corporate byline. I know you didn't learn that, but I'm telling you the more you do it and the more you include yourself in your story, the more unique you become and therefore the more compelling your story becomes. So we can all get together and learn what that byline is so that we all touch on it and we create consistency across the marketplace in our messaging, no matter who we are and where we go but that's not what's going to get your audience to pay attention. Or let's say internally, you are a team leader and you've got 14 people working on your team and you have weekly meetings and that's your goal. How do I turn my internal team of 14 people into better performers for the organization, especially if what we're being asked to do by that organization is not what we want to be doing? So how do I communicate with them? How do I get them on board? and get them happy, and get them excited, and get them passionate. Well, you're going to do it through your own unique personal storytelling ability. And when we free people up to do that, we give them additional tools to create the communication that empowers their people at that given time, their audience in that particular moment, to succeed in their own way. And really, that's what this is all about. Any great engagement or interaction ends with the people on either side of that interaction saying, well, that was a great use of my time. I'm so glad I did that. In an ideal world, hopefully you and I get off this call and you say, oh, I'm so glad I had a chance to talk to Steve. I know I'm gonna get off that uh, uh, this call uh, uh, saying, I'm so glad that Andrew's invited me in and gave me the opportunity, but that's what it's about. But again, personally, as well as professionally, how great is it when we can go to our kids, when we can go to our spouse and we can go to our uh, 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 parents or our dear friends and everybody walks away saying, oh my gosh, that was such a fun night. You know, the reason it was fun, we empowered one another. We gave mm-hmm. each other value. We were there to really appreciate the experience and live in the moment to uplift one another. The same thing happens in corporate communication. How do you get out there, look your audience of one or 100 or 1000 in the eye and make them say, that was a great engagement. I got a lot out of that. I feel like I have a new pathway to a better future or a better success or being able to do one thing in more best practice methodology, thanks to our engagement with one another. And the more unique we are in our storytelling, 
the more we empower that other person. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I have a very similar philosophy in the sense that I always want my audience to say, oh, I'm glad I was here for this. And, and especially at a, at a, in a trade show, they didn't even know they were going to be watching that presentation, right? It's like they didn't buy tickets, you know, so they happen upon something and, and to be able to, you know, walk away with that rich experience, right? That you're, you're talking about. Man, and they do. Talk- I've watched them do it. I've watched you work and I've watched people walk away and I've heard them say, guy's amazing that was a that was really really good i wasn't expecting that well and even better they don't walk away they walk in right right well i was going to say what's really good is the time that you've spent with us here today because man this has been a master class in um speaking and and bringing and delivering value through your words and i know this is probably you know people are going to want to listen to this this episode again and, and make notes so um where where can people get the the book man everything is so easy to track down so all of your resellers whichever one you like or don't like you can go ahead and track it down in any format it's available in hardcover in paperback in audiobook read by me and we can talk about that a different day one of the hardest things i've ever done i feel wow. and uh and ebook as well and then uh, if you want to get in touch with me, super easy, stevemulter.com or corporatestorytelling.com. Both are going to guide to me. And speaking of guide, one last thing I'll mention is a freebie for anybody who's listening in on your podcast. If you go to corporatestorytelling.com slash guide and then put in the code sold told 23 all lowercase sold told 23 plays right off the title of the book you can download my free e-guide it's called five paths to passionate storytelling and this is a speed version of a way that anybody no matter where you are in your speaking trajectory no matter what title it shows on your business card what your socioeconomic status or job role is anybody can discover five things that you can immediately apply to your speaking today that will begin to make you a more successful winning communicator. So go pick up that free e-guide. Thank you so much, Steve, for offering that to our listeners. And again, I want to thank you for making the time to uh, share with us your expertise here on the podcast. Uh, It's been a great guest. Andrews, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, my friend. I always love seeing your face and this has been a, a real joy. I do appreciate it. Thanks. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And and remember, until next time, stay engaged. Thank you so much for listening to Engaging Personalities. If you believe this world needs more engagement and you're an industry leader or you have an interesting take on rehumanizing business, go to go.engageify.ai slash podcast hyphen guest to apply and come on the show. If you got something out of this interview, Do you mind sharing it on your social media? Just grab a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show. Include the hashtag engaging personalities. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episode, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, engageify.ai, or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening, and stay engaged. Stay engaged.